Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Welcome to Worst Year Ever, a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the worst year ever. We'll get through it together or not. Everything is so dumb, 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 dumb. Hello, welcome back to the worst year ever. Hello. Continued into this one. Yeah, because the year is not, is not, is not, well, I, you know what, let's not be unreasonable. Things are (laughs) better in that this time last year, everything was shut down from a plague and there was no end in sight. And now there is a vaccine and we Mm -hmm. might even get it out fast enough to avoid states like Florida and North Carolina, South Carolina spreading the South African variant of the virus that is vaccine resistant, like fingers crossed. There is some hope for some things at this <laughs> yeah. point in time. Mm-hmm. Great. But Great. that's the Great. name of the Great. show, and we're sticking with it. Mm-hmm. So we're talking, I mean, we, t- we had... What else happened? <laughs> well, a lot of things have happened. Um, I guess it would be fair to say that mass shooting season has come back since things yeah. are opening up. Back to um, normal. Back back to normal, um, as as expected. Um, and of course, I mean, just like a week after we talked to Christopher Wong about anti-Asian racism, there was the, the mass shooting, um, in, in Atlanta. Uh, so we've got a couple of guests to talk about that. Um, and it's a rough conversation. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of good historical context. Uh, it's, it's very interesting. I think you'll find it valuable. Um, it's tough. So why don't we, why don't we, before we go into that, let's each talk about something good that happened to us in the last week, just to, I don't know, a little, little palate cleanser. Oh, I don't know. First thing comes to mind is I saw that 
video from the dog show of Gabby winning. Gabby, Gabby kicking ass. Guys, just go to my Twitter and I, I retweeted it. That's the first nice thing that I could think of. Is it super cute? Does that count as something nice to share right now? Yeah, I think yeah, it'll bring a smile to your face. Yes, absolutely. It's really yeah. cute. Gabby did good. good. We should, good I mean. Girl. We, it, it, when we spend so much time digging into all of the horrible things people do, we should celebrate the one good thing our species has accomplished, which is dogs. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're the best. Yeah, they're completely unproblematic good. And Victory. Victory yeah. on dogs. Yeah. Victory. The, 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 the war against not having dogs has been won conclusively. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. I'll tell that to PETA, but that's... A, that's a topic a, for another I, time. I <laughs> think dogs would argue with PETA on that point. I think so. I'd watch that, I'd watch that <laughs> yeah, debate. Yeah, yeah. Um, Cody, what about you? Uh, whew, uh, playing music a lot. That's fun. Did a lot of yard work yesterday, which was uh, satisfying. Oh, good. Yeah, I do enjoy it. Yeah, I'm gearing up for gardening season again. I just planted some potatoes, and I'm I'm looking forward to plant more. I'm gonna try to grow a fuckload of potatoes. Yeah, yeah. Good nice time to be, to be doing it. Food prices are going to skyrocket this year. Um, the price of corn, corn futures have, has just leapt enormously, and that means that meat is going to soar in price in the very near future. Um, meat or mead? Meat. Mead, oh. mead, mead prices are more reliant upon bumblebee futures. Um, but I was just prices, and, uh, and Renaissance Fair season, and so Ren- and Ren- Fair that, season. Now that we've opened up, the prices yeah. are going to skyrocket. Really, right, what you want to look at is the sale of drinking horns. The more drinking horns are are out in the public, the more expensive meat is going to well, be. Well, I'm that's, assuming that's with a, reopening, there's going to be more. So I, better be. I, I, I could go for a Ren Fair. I could go for literally I, anything where I'm around. I've shared this on That's certain true. shows. I think definitely on my Twitter. My next door neighbor uh, works at the Renaissance Fair and uh, as a performer. And yeah. since the beginning of the pandemic has made ends meet by doing several live streams um, a week, every week. In the evening, you know, doing covers of songs, but like interjecting jokes like round, round, get around. I get around. She's fast. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss it. I'm going to have to go to the Renaissance Fair, which I will want to do. But, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes you want to hang out in the backyard. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, that's fun. I, Mm -hmm. I would share. I would actually plug if people have asked me to share his Patreon, but I can't do that because that's a safety concern for me oh, <laughs> personally yeah, as my next door neighbor, yeah, but he's, he's very I don't mean fair. to make fun of him. Yeah. Anyway, Robert, what's yours? I got my first of the shot of the Pfizer vaccine. Yes. It was actually like a week ago, but I'm still, um, you know, it, and it was, I, if I felt like I had like maybe a, a really mild flu for about 10 hours. You might've so. had it. Mm-hmm. They a say what? that if you have a reaction after the first shot, you might've had it. Oh, you yeah, I'm, I, I I got really sick actually about almost exactly a year ago. I I got horribly ill at the Richmond gun rally um, that were like yep I remember I attended. Um, I don't know if it was COVID. Uh, I don't remember coughing a whole lot or having any real lung issue, but it sucked. Um, but yeah, I I got I got my first vaccine shot. I know Sophie did too recently. You um, did, Soph. Oh yeah, nice. She, oh yeah, uh, yeah. And um, I don't know, I, I've just been kind of on a little high about how cool the concept of a vaccine is. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy thinking about how neat 
those are that that we figured that out. They're yeah. like they're like right under dogs in terms of my my <laughs> list of things we've done that I think are 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 pretty rad. Well, um, I'd like to see the virus do the Westminster Dog Show. So I oh, I mean don't, the vaccine. I would prefer not to see that actually. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, um, well, friends, let's lead into a tough but necessary conversation. So we uh, about, uh I don't know what two weeks ago uh was it even two yeah two weeks ago mm-hmm. um we had Christopher Wong on to talk about not just kind of the the present epidemic of of anti-Asian racism and hate crimes uh directed particularly against elderly Asians but about the long history of uh violence towards Asians and anti-Asian racism in the United States and then the next week um there was a mass shooting that targeted um particularly Asian women working at a series of massage parlors in Atlanta. Um, And since then, there's been another mass shooting in Boulder that I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, But we wanted to have Christopher back on. And also, we wanted to, some details came out about the shooter um, in Atlanta. Um, And there's been a bunch of kind of, I think, verging on misinformation about, oh, no, this wasn't an anti-Asian hate crime. This was about his sex addiction. Um... He came from a very specific religious background and was kind of inculcated within a specific thing that I think purity culture is the best term for. So I also brought in a very good friend of mine, uh, Eve Ettinger, who grew up in, I guess you'd say, an adjacent religious community. And our our goal for this week is to kind of facilitate a conversation um, between Christopher and Eve and hopefully arrive at kind of a greater understanding of the dynamics of the situation and and what led to all of those murders. Yes. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I hate being here for these reasons. Yeah, it's um, not fun. Glad. I don't here. like having this expertise, but hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you Christopher's in a similar, got. a similar boat. Yeah. You know, so the the day after we we recorded the the last episode, um, I was talking to one of my friends. I mean, we were talking about this, and i was saying okay the, the the only thing that you could consider even vaguely good about the sort of like the the only sort of vague silver lining about the anti-asian violence was that it was basically all people doing blunt force stuff which meant i mean you were talking about hundreds of attacks mm-hmm. but you know the body count wasn't that high because it turns out it's extremely hard to kill people by just beating them to death and you know that that all changed last week um yeah. Yeah. yeah we we finally got the combination of person who wants to kill Asian people and has guns, which. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was kind of. It was one of those things, I think. Unfortunately, if you were paying attention, you knew was coming. You know, it was. Um, I felt kind of similarly to when we finally had the Christchurch shooting of just like, this is good. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. The warning signs you hear the warning signs are okay. There's, you know, it's happened now. Um, which is, uh, um, I guess there's a particular kind of horror in seeing that, seeing it on the horizon and knowing you can't stop it. Yeah. 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 Up with these kinds of guys, like I know, I know this type, and it, you know, I'm glad it took this long to happen. I wish it had never happened, but you know, not surprised. And it's, it's, 
it's so would good you, that people are talking about it now. <laughs> could you give us a little bit of context, Eve, and sort of what purity culture is and what you understand of kind of where this guy's where this guy's religious upbringing bringing would have intersected with his with his actions? Okay, so um, there's there's just so much to cover in terms of where this intersects with the anti Asian sentiment that he's he's you know reacting to. Um, but the purity culture essentially um it it's the modern versions of it that you might have heard, the silver ring thing, uh, Josh Harris, the courtship stuff, all of that that I grew up with um really comes out of a very um white supremacist uh uh colonizer, white colonizer kind of mindset where white virginity is seen as the epitome of, of, of purity and this thing that needs to be protected. And that, um, you know, you have all of these conversations um, happening around um, like the over-sexualization of black girls and and how they're, they're forced to, you know, grow up too quickly because they're treated like adult adults with sexual agency because in contrast with the the cult of white virginity, they're not allowed to have that kind of purity or that kind of, um, you know, idealized innocence. And so it, the history goes way, way, way back. But um, the current current versions of it um, is pretty heavily religious um, and is based on some really fundamentalist misinterpretations of various uh biblical texts and and is treating things like masturbation as sinful so you know for you just like a, a short preview of like i grew up thinking that i had a masturbation addiction because i did it at all yeah. as and that was something that was just seen as like so foreign for a, a woman, someone being raised as a woman to have a sex drive that like, that was seen as sinful. And so I grew up with this huge sense of shame around that. Um, and so when you have that kind of, you know, these cultures that are this, this subculture, that's really repressive and um, really demonizes any kind of sexuality and expression of sexuality as bad you you just the mindset gets very very limited very quickly yeah and i it's hard i think for a lot of well i don't know th th there's elements of this i guess in all of kind of mainstream american culture right this kind of like demonization of of sex and sexual urges um i think it is hard for most of us to get into the headspace of somebody who is being taught that who is being led to believe that like Th this is a major medical problem that they have, right? Like that's kind of the, and I, it seems like that's what this guy felt like these, the, the fact that these people were providing a service that he was using because that service was sexual was ruining his life. Um, like that, that's, that's, uh, and, and that's not a thing this guy decided do we even on know, his wait, own. Do we even know that? That's what's that's what he was claimed to the police that he had a sex addiction and that he like was was fed. well. That's what the police. That's say. The, like, okay, yeah. so here's the thing. Here's the thing. I've done in my snooping around on his church's website on the way back on Wayback Machine. Yeah. What's left? What's left up? They have connections to groups that taught similar stuff to the stuff that I was raised, or have overlap with the things I was taught. 
Um, but they have a link on there about internet accountability. And there's a blocking software that they are recommending on the church's official website for um, that. Basically, my family had something similar growing up where it'd be like, if you went to a sexually, sexually explicit piece of content on the internet, it would send an email to your accountability partner notifying them that you had visited this website. Jesus Christ. And so the, the guy, so when he says sex addiction, I you we don't need to even jump to the conclusion that he was actually right. sexually active at all. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. it was like a sex addiction in this community could be as little as like watching porn once a week or yeah. jerk, jacking off a couple times a day. Like that's a sex addiction in this world. Um, I don't want to yeah, get too I, far into the weeds it, with it, but that's, that's, you know, that's the kind of stuff that like, so when everybody's saying, Oh, these were sex workers. That's a whole jump that I am not comfortable yes. making because, yes. and his assertion that he was, you know, this was his sex addiction that doesn't necessarily connect <laughs> because he doesn't have to be sexually active to have a sex addiction in this community's mm-hmm. de- definition of things. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like it's accurate to say he could have just been like literally receiving massages and attracted to these people. Yeah. And that, or thinking that, about getting massages. Or thinking right? about like, getting a massage. Well, like yeah. So like, so like <laughs> there was a whole, there was a whole book that was, that was uh, by Josh Harris that, about lust that was given to pe- teens around my, uh, the time I was in high school. I think it came out in like 2008. Um, no, 2005, something like that. But it changed titles a couple of times. So I'm not, I'm not sure what the final one was, but essentially it was like, if you can masturbate without thinking about someone, without objectifying a human, it's not a sin. That was the <laughs> essential premise in that. So if he's like going there, getting a massage, and then jacking off to it later, he is committing a sin in his own mind. So I just want to interject to say that <sighs> it is possible that uh, this parlor was sexual in nature. I haven't seen that officially. I just was looking it up to check. Um, yeah, yeah, it's on Rubhub. There, like, I, <laughs> there is, but it doesn't matter. And also, yeah. Yeah. also, I mean, there's a whole no, broader conversation about how yeah. we talk about sex workers and and the fact that people are dancing around that aspect of this story when at the end of the day, it doesn't matter either way. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that's interesting is that is what I saw very clearly happening, in, in part from the, po- the police officer who made the first public comments, who was himself is himself super racist and was sharing anti anti Chinese um, memes related to COVID um, was this attempt to like deflect from claims that this was at all related in anti-Asian bigotry and instead angle it as, well, this is just a troubled young man with, um with a sexual problem uh, who, who, who had a bad showed, day, who had a bad day. Yeah. And I, I, I think it, what's interesting to me is the, the kind of layers of, white supremacy baked within this both in terms of what um eve you were talking about with there's this idea that like particularly white sexuality there's something sacred about like innocence and something there um and then this this uh, there are these other shades of kind of the the very old some very old standing um some very old standing stereotypes, uh, particularly about Asian uh, women. Like Christopher, you talked about last time, there was a period of time when the United States defined any Asian woman in the United States as a sex worker. And so 
I don't you you I think one thing is clear there in Katie and Eve you're both very right to to hesitate to um make any claims about what was actually happening at the massage parlor but regardless of what was going on um I think it's impossible to disentangle white supremacy and anti-Asian bigotry absolutely. from this crime yeah. yeah absolutely absolutely yeah, and I'm wondering if you had kind of anything more to say on that angle, Christopher, just based on what what Eve was talking about a little bit ago. Yeah, good to do two things here. Um, so one, there there, there was a uh, Red Canary song, which is a, a sex work group, like mm-hmm. advocacy group that I'm going to talk more about in a little bit. Um, they they had a vigil for the victims, and one of the people at the vigil was a sex worker organizer named Kylan Zhang, and she was talking about specifically. The the, the, the the ties between this and Christianity, and I, and I think this is something that's sort of important, is that racism has, you know, it, it can wear a lot of different ideologies. Like, you know, you can be sort of like conventional mainstream Republicanism, you can have racist Democrats, you can have sort of racist evangelicals, it, even especially in the 1800s, it, it wears the face of the work, like the workers movement a lot. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in relation to this specific thing, uh, she said, quote, they hate us, uh, this is talking about sex workers, they hate us so they can hate themselves less. Mm. That it's about, you know, yes. it's about this, like, this is yes. because they hate themselves yeah. and that they have this, this, this they, they, they displace this sort of hatred onto other people and that makes them feel better. And, you know, they, 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 you know, you're talking about like, you're not supposed to like objectify women, but that's like all they do. That's, that's their whole religion, right? It's just turning women into objects and turning, you know, and, and this, this is replicated, you know, even after, you know, after the massacre, right? When, you know, like social workers show up, when the government shows up, and this is one of the things she was talking about is that you know all the the, the whole system like of, of clients of judges of social workers of the state just treats sex work particularly asian sex workers exactly the same way as the shooter does and it, does, it doesn't matter whether they're there to like save them or whether they're there to you know kill them they, they have they have the same fundamental beliefs and the same sort of displacement of their own like self-hatred and their own sort of inability to grapple with the fact that like what what they are feeling is from is something they've created and not something that's the responsibility of the women they're objectifying and there, there's also something that i think i want to talk about with the way that sort of massage parlors and sex work gets conflated and i want to put another quote from uh this is esther uh k who's one of the co-directors of red canary song um said quote the conflation of massage parlors and sex workers without any nuance is very specific to anti-Asian racism against Asian women. Um, and, you know, I noticed something really interesting. So th- th- this is a quote that was put in The Guardian. Now, The Guardian, when they talked about Red Canary, said that they were, quote, a grassroots Chinese massage parlor worker coalition. And I thought that was really weird because I, I know Red Canary song. Like, that's not what? Yeah, doesn't that, that doesn't sound right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So here's, here's what's on their website. Quote, we are a grassroots collective of Asian and migrant sex workers. So this is the shit that we're dealing with here, right? The Guardian mm-hmm. went to Red Canary Song's website, wrote down their description, and then changed sex workers to massage parlor workers. They literally wow. whitewashed it. Wow. Yeah, it, it, it's stunning. It's stunning. And, you know, like this, this is part of the part of what's happening here is the media is completely unprepared to deal with this because you know yeah. they're like they. And- the, yeah, because because they're they're also racist. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, it's the kind of thing I can't even know if that was a that was a a, a specific editorial change or if that was somebody in their head reading 
sex worker and replacing it automatically with um, mm-hmm. massage parlor worker. Like both Without are interchangeable. very feasible. Yeah. And I'm thinking about how culturally for so long it's been acceptable to make jokes or associations to that effect. Like, oh, you're going to get a Thai massage. Is it, you know? Yeah. And the fact that I, I mean, I personally have not been into any of those establishments without seeing an explicit sign about do not touch our massage therapists. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I, I was talking, <sighs> I was talking to a couple of sex worker friends about this after this happened. And one of the, the things that was coming up was it's so annoying when I'm here to do my job and you want a massage. That's not something I do. Yeah. It's like, I, I that's not my, my training is in here. Yeah, I, absolutely. Welcome to the worst year ever. We'll get through it together or not. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. One of the things this made me think about is an article I was reading recently in Vanity Fair about a a documentary that came out called Tales of the Grim Sleeper, which was about a a serial killer in Los Angeles who targeted primarily black sex workers and wasn't caught for a very long time because his victims were black. And there's a quote in there that I think ties into all of this in a, a um, a, a pretty horrifying way. Uh, Quote, one of the most troubling pieces of information presented in the film is that police officers are reported to have used the unofficial acronym NHI, no humans involved, to describe the slayings of prostitutes and drug addicts. Yep. Wow. Yep. 
that's not just Los Angeles, although it happened here. That is a thing that that cops do. NHI, no humans involved. They were they were sex workers. They were drug addicts. They were you know, um, and I'm I'm sure. Uh, not to get us too much out of out of kind of the topic of today, but it's all it's all very tied together. Kind of the white th- there's these this. I think people talk too much about white supremacy as a single thing rather than a series of interlocking systems. And you've got um, these kind of you've got white supremacy within this within this religious um, the strain of religious teaching. You've got it within law enforcement. Um, you've got it within these various socioeconomic systems. You've got it within the immigration system. And I think all of that, it's like this these series of wheels that are kind of working together to make slayings like what happened in Atlanta inevitable. This was one of the things that, that made – this is why everyone sort of – you know if, if you've been watching how people have been talking about it afterwards, people just sort of lost their minds and couldn't analyze it because you – know, I mean, th- this is a place where basically uh, almost all of the sites of violence like come together. I mean you have a bunch of people who are market workers who – uh, and, and this is one of the other things about tying this directly to the police is that, you know, people who work in massage parlors do not call the cops yeah. because, mm-hmm. yeah, for, for very obvious reasons. I mean, there yeah. was there was a report from Butterflies, a, a sex worker group out in Toronto, who said that, yeah, 50 percent of all massage parlor workers reported some kind of threat of safety at their work. They don't call the cops Jesus. because, you know, a, a lot of those, those threats, right, are from cops who yep. like constantly just over and over and over again do these raids on uh on massage parlors as part of the sort of anti-trafficking thing. But, you know, a lot, you know, they'll do these raids and they'll claim, Oh, we, we freed 26 people from uh, trafficking. And then you look at what actually happened and it's no, they, they took 26 people. They took, they, they stripped them all, all of their identification. They took their passports and they just sort of kicked them out into the street. They never, never charged any of the, uh, never charged any of the people in the massage place, but you know, you, you, you would think, right. If, if this was actually an anti-trafficking thing that, they would, you know, like prosecute the people who are doing the trafficking, but no, they don't because, you know, the, and, and this is the other thing. If, 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 insofar as you're talking about trafficking, well, guess who does trafficking? It's the police. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, so <laughs> I just want to like put a plug in here for uh, the You're Wrong About podcast has a couple of really good episodes on busting myths on, on sex trafficking. And like, so one of the things that they would talk, they were talking about in one of those episodes was like, you know, you might have that number of like, okay, 29 people we rescued or whatever. Um, but it won't count repeats. So it'll be like the same if they're like raiding the same place over and over again. And these individuals are repeatedly being arrested. They will identify them over and over again as a new number. So they're not, they're, Mm. the numbers are really inflated and they're really badly calculated. And, and I just want to kind of pan off of the, the trafficking and the cops, like, the history of of like the Christian communities like response to trafficking as a concept is extremely classist mm-hmm. and um, extremely tied to this like Madonna horror complex. Um, and the way you see it like originate is goes back to um, Victorian England and the Salvation Army, and they basically were. Uh, trying to create a moral panic about children being trafficked. Um, and there were so many orphans that were being shuttled around and being used in, um, you know, these exploitive labor conditions. And they were trying to help them, but they wanted to get attention on the issue. So they 
staged a uh like they paid someone to go procure a child and then Jesus. you know the the guy shows up and is like okay we got it like this is happening so we have proof that it's happening even though he was the one who facilitated it just like the cops facilitate these kinds of stings i mean the just... exact same the exact same method so the, the salvation yeah. army has been doing this since then and and it kind of all goes back to i mean there's all these Victorian ideals of like womanhood and what it means. There's this poem by Coventry Patmore that I think is really important. It's called um, the angel in the house. And it's talking about like the ideal woman and she's, she's pure and she's passive and she's takes care of the children. And she's completely sac- self-sacrificing and self-effacing. And, and so anyone who's going out and doing anything and taking initiative for themselves and uh, having sex on their own terms this is something that that can't exist according to these these tropes and these binaries that yeah. exist in the in the christian imagination well and i think also the victorian era is crucial to this this the, the, like yeah. i think people don't understand this every before the victorian era like people had way like the people sort of social and like like sort of sexual cultural politics was way closer to us in even like the 1600s and 1700s and in the 1800s all the things that we think of as conservatism or that have been there for like forever or whatever like that that's when all of this is formed because the victorians are just the worst people who have ever lived <laughs> like you know if we want to talk about like there's there's a lot of things happening in this period right like you yeah. know if, if you want to if you want to talk about sort of anti-colonial violence like the 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 these people are str- like in in india right there there's 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 a rebellion against british rule like the british strap people to cannons to like mm-hmm. destroy their bodies so that like they can't be buried properly like this, this is the kind of stuff these people are doing and and you know it, it's not a coincidence like th- this is this is the moment when you get both the sort of the christian solidification of sort of the submissive woman and it's also the exact moment where you get a really solidified uh, conception of of you know is the, the, the sort of orientalist conception of of Asian women as these like submissive butterfly women who are like dolls. And you get people going to Japan and writing about you know write, writing about like Japanese women like this, and it, you know this spreads like wildfire across like mass culture. And it, we, this is th- these are all like all of the tropes that we see today, like are from the Victorian era, with ba- with basically the exception of the the sex worker thing which is like the all asian sex workers and the the, the me love you long time shit from kubrick yeah. like that's that stuff has to do with you know one of the other really horrific scenes of sort of massive violence against asian women which is you know i, I would say this like the, the people in this region just cannot get a break you, so you know you have, you have the invasion of the philippines by the u.s you start to see mass violence there and then you know if you're in china and you're in korea you get invaded by japan and Japan sets up the comfort women's system, and you know people, people sort of know about this. It's this mass system of sexual slavery. What people tend not to know about is that the Americans, you know, at, at the end of World War II, the Americans essentially inherit this empire. Like they, they take over its logistics networks, yeah. and they they inherit the comfort women's system. And the, 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 there's complicated ways that this works, but they, you know, a lot of the sort of because one of the things that happens in the Korean War is Korea is just completely leveled. It's absolutely yeah. devastated. Millions of people are unemployed. And you get you see these little camp towns. You have I mean, a, a million women who are basically forced into sex work by the fact that the U.S. have just annihilated their country. And but you know, and, and the, the the way that stuff is organized is you know it's this is descendant from the stuff the Japanese were doing. And you know you, you see this again repeated in Vietnam and all the stuff that comes out of that. And it's you just sort of. 
you know, you step back and look at this and it's just colonialism, imperialism, that's just this nightmare that never ends. It's like the faces change. Sometimes it's the French, sometimes it's the Japanese, sometimes it's the Americans, but you know, the violence is the same and it just, it keeps going and going and going. And it's just, you know, and, and, and it, it, you know, the, the violence sort of rebounds back and forth between, you know, what the U.S. Army does, and it comes back home, and then it goes back abroad again, and it comes back home, and you end up with, you know, the situation we're in today, where just the whole view of Asian women is, is based on sort of American sort of imperial fears and American imperial like, victories and defeats. and Yeah. There's a lot of sort of grim aspects of this too, where you get. So you know, one one of the reactions to this from inside the sort of Asian American community is, <laughs> you get these sort of nominally anti-imperialist, like anti-sex worker groups for people who see this violence and are like, okay, well, the, the problem here is that there are sex workers like at all, and this goes to really bad places real fast. So this group called a firm, who you'll probably you've probably run into them, who are trying to sort of like exploit the killings as like a, hey, we can do anti-sex work stuff. Except, you know, a firm in Hawaii was vandalizing massage parlors with like really terrifying graffiti stuff, and it's like, okay, sounds it, like people that should be casting moral judgments. Yeah, but it's also just you know part of, part of the reason like people have a, a problem. Okay, this is this is sort of bad. That's a bad way of explaining it. But there's, you know, one of one of the fundamental problems of sort of anti-Asian racism, racism against Asian women, is that, you know, Asian women are at all times essentially treated like like as how how the rest of society treats sex workers, right? Like it's, you know, you you're supposed to be an object. Your body's supposed to be available for white men at all times. And a lot of people's reactions to this is, well, we need to separate Asian women from sex work, right? But, you know, fundamentally, you know, you, you're dealing with racism here, but you're also dealing with the fact that this is just how we treat sex workers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, we arrest them constantly. We constantly harass them. Like, you know, I talked about Ying Sung in, in the last time, but, you know, it, it's it's incredibly relevant here that the police just hound them to their deaths. The police abuse them. And you can't really solve this problem un- unless you're able to, like, uh, unless... You know, you're 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 dealing with these problems simultaneously. Well, it's, you're saying it. You mean just like we were saying earlier, like these are this is an intersection of a particularly virulent strain of Christian misogyny with classism, with racism. Like this is where those three things are coming together. And you know, when you look at you know how Christians treat their own women, you know, I grew up in a fundamentalist homeschool corporal you are going to Google terms that that's, that's the way to find how I was raised a quarter whole family. And I was, I was raised to, uh, with the idea that my purpose in life was to get married and have more babies and homeschool them and raise them for Jesus and repeat the process that my mother had. I'm the oldest of nine. Um, and so, you know, there was, there was, there was this mythology around, um, you know, what a biblical woman was. And if you look at the council of biblical manhood and womanhood, they've got like these whole treatises um, that you can read about like what they thought 
an ideal woman should be. And it goes back to the the angel in the house kind of trope from the Victorian era where they had this this neo-Victorian nostalgia for for this idea of womanhood that never actually existed where, you know, the woman is passive, the woman is a receiver, the woman is constantly sexually available, the woman is fertile, the woman is there to provide for the children and take care of things and make life easy for her husband. And, and so there's all of these like gender roles that they're putting on their own women. Um, but they have to protect those women because they are ensuring the racial purity of that community. And so when you step outside of that, um, of course they're not gonna treat other women well. Mm-hmm. They're not treating their own women well. And, and once these, these women have no value to them socially, it's going to get a yeah. whole lot worse. They can take yeah. out, they can act out. They can take out um, disposable. their repression, you know? Yeah. On other people. Yes. Disposable. And, you know, and I think that the purity aspect's very important to this. And, and the, the, even sort of looking at historical violence against Asian women, I mean, this is, you know, after we were talking about the Page Act, which is the, the, the act that like the, that supposedly banned anyone who was in the country for quote immoral purposes, uh, who were lewd. Like this is the the justification for this again was you know about maintaining American racial purity. They're 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 very open about this. Yeah. And you know Asian women are you know are are seen as a threat to sort of American racial purity, and that meant you had to do ethnic cleansing. And I and I think you know the, the, there's a lot of ethnic cleansing that happens in, especially the 1800s, but even after that. And, and I, I, I want to take a moment to say something about mass shootings in general. Um, this, this is something I first heard from Vicki Osterweil, although I think there's there's sort of precedence to this, which is about mass, the, the sort of mass shootings we see today are basically just sort of individualized versions of the sort of mass communal violence of, of the, the 1800s and 1900s. And so, you know, if, if you want to look at what the sort of model for the shooter is, you, you know, you can look at the, the sort of anti-Chinese riots and broader anti-Asian riots, because and this is the depressing thing about this. Every single different Asian American national ethnic group has their own massacre that specifically targeted them. You know, I mean, just just to, to go through, there, there's 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 a whole just particularly on the West Coast, this entire wave of ethnic cleansing. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it starts in the 1860s, but just, 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 just to, like, read some of these so you get an and understanding, it, like, a partial list of just, like, how many of them there are. Just, there's the Chinese Massacre of 1871, San Francisco Riots of 1877, 1885. There's, and this, this, is, this is one of the common themes of this, is Chinese expulsion from Tacoma, which, you know, they'll just run every Chinese person. It depends on the ethnic group. There's also, like, every Indian person in, uh, I think it's Everett. I think just gets run out to Canada. There's the Rock Spring Massacre in 1885. There's the Issaquah attacks also in that same year in, in 1886. Seattle has a riot. They try to you know, this an anti-Asian riot. There's the Hell's Canyon Massacre, which is another another thing that happens is that like rail workers and miners who are uh, Asian just get slaughtered by particularly white workers who are pissed off at them for like, you know, the fact that their wages are lower. And, you know, and brought and, and in to bust the union. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's more it's yeah it's more than that though. It, uh, the, the the Chinese workers who are brought in this in the 1800s are a lot of 
a lot of ways are supposed to be replacements for sort of enslaved black labor and also has to do with a, a transportation problem where you can't really like it's actually like hard to get across the u.s and so there, there's no good way to sort of just mass like export sort of the, the newly freed slaves from the south to the west coast so they bring in asian workers to do this and you know this this just drives white labor insane and they just start massacring people and then and, uh, and you know this happens and this continues like through the 1900s like in, in 1907 there's something called the pacific coast race riots where you know this is this is a multinational riot and this is, it starts in, i think it starts in san francisco but by the end of it it goes to bellingham and like there, there's there's an anti-chinese riot like in vancouver jesus yeah and you know this this is this is the tradition that the shooter is working in Right, you know, and there's there's a specificity of sort of evangelical anti-sex worker violence here, but there's also just, you know, this is this is the modern continuation of just the ethnic cleansing attempts that you know in a lot of cases succeeded. You, you can see this in California if if you if you're driving through California, sometimes they'll just be random Buddhist temples, and there's no Asian people there, and the reason there's no Asian people there is because every single one of them was ran out. And the rest of the area is completely white, but you know the the, the things that they built are just still there. And I think monuments, the cleansing. So I teach uh, freshman comms and a couple other classes. So I teach a lot of young teens just out of high school, and one of the things that I see all the time is just an absolute ignorance about American complicity in these kinds of things. Racism is seen as something that's in the past. There's not really a good education about these things. So the, the responsibility of whiteness in all of these uh, horrific events is never addressed. And so yeah. they're just inheriting the, the whatever is in their family community and, mm. and it's just, it's unaddressed. And so they're coming to this with this, you know, white innocence again, like I don't know anything, so I couldn't have done it. And that's, part of what's being preserved by not teaching it yep and, and this kind of this all it all goes together <laughs> I, there's this there's this other element of white uh, of, of american exceptionalism that i see getting wrapped up in how we don't talk about these acts of ethnic cleansing that christopher was yes. just going over because if you look at if you look at what actually happens in the action if you look at their death toll they don't sound wildly different from things that in our lifetime have occurred in in parts of the middle east in africa and part of, I think, why we don't talk about it is that it would mean acknowledging that the same kind of strains of racial mass violence um, have been, are, are a, a central part of American identity. And we don't like to think about yeah. that. Well, Less... and I think, it's, I, th I think it's worse than that, because, you know, if you start doing that, right, if, if you go to the 1800s, you go to the anti-Chinese massacres, you have to go back further. And, mm -hmm. you know, if when, when you go back in the history of the United States, and then this is happening in the 1800s, like at the same time. You know, you realize that, oh, yeah, wait, hold on. Like this, this entire country is built on the fact that we ethnically cleansed innumerable, innumerable peoples. I destroyed them. Yeah. Last week, on, I just want to interject because this is, I have a, a relevant story here. Uh, last week, as this news broke and I, we were all digesting it, I was chatting with um, a Korean American friend of mine, and his wife is from Germany. And and he said, when these things happen and, and over the past year, I've been thinking about this a lot. And for my wife growing up in Germany, 
they had they, they it's illegal to deny the Holocaust. Yes. It's taught in their schools. And I'm not mm-hmm. here saying that Germany has everything figured out. They obviously have a, a right wing problem. Uh, but this element of their society is a forced reckoning with their history and with their past. And it's a, a, a very, very big difference, a stark difference from how we are raised just with this narrative of uh, America being the best and, and a democracy and the, the great experiment. And it just leaves out everything that happened getting us to this point, you know? And, and I think and I that's think on purpose. It is. Yeah. It's absolutely it's on, on purpose, purpose. Because, because it gives us it gives us white people the plausible deniability of I didn't know I didn't do it. Well, and yep. you can just I shut just, down the conversation there. Separate. It's like those those people did it, but not me. Well, you still are a part of this and it's still part of your legacy. And the the ramifications of their actions are still here. So it's on us to to do this the work. Fact, the fact that your parents were able to get a mortgage is a result yes. of you benefiting from these systems. So shut up. Yes. Well, well, even, even with Germany, though, like, so, you know, Germany, well, okay, you, you can talk a lot about the fact that, like, so much of the German economy is based on the fact that they won't pay reparations to all the Holocaust victims, mm-hmm. because if they did, it would destroy their it, it, whole GDP. Yeah. On. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, one of the other ones, uh, so Germany did its own genocides in uh, in in Africa, there was the Hero and Namakwa genocide, oh, yeah. and yeah. that one, that one, they don't, they don't really they recognize. Don't. That's a, real, they, that's they a really good point. Yeah, well, and, 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 and you know, this this is part of how they avoid sort of Holocaust accountability too, because you mm-hmm. know, so Himmler's dad, I think it was, it was either his dad or his grandpa, was like the commanding officer in charge, like one of the commanding officers who was in charge of the troops that did this genocide. Yeah. And like yeah, you know, the there's there's yeah, yeah, and there's there's nothing like you know, and, and you you don't you don't really get this that much in the German education system, and you know they 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 deflect blame in similar ways to sort of the Americans do. I mean, and I, I think a big part of why that happens, why 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 Germany has is allowed to get away with ignoring their colonial genocides in Africa is because if you call Germany to task for their massacres of the Herero or the um the other shit they were getting up to in Namibia, you also have to acknowledge. France and England are even have yep. d- did even worse things. <laughs> you have to acknowledge <laughs> like, literally like, every other place. <laughs> yeah, and then you have to look at like not how every other concentration place. camps and the treatment of mentally ill people in Germany were modeled on U.S. practices. So you don't, you can't force a, a deeper dig. <laughs> yeah, a deeper I mean, it, dig. All right. So I partially rescind my point about Germany, but I still say that this well, cultural I mean, acknowledgement of this thing that happened yes. is part of this. Part of what we need yeah. right here. Welcome to the worst year ever. We'll get through together or not. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. 
Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Everything is so dumb, 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 dumb. When I was younger and kind of more on the libertarian end of things, I was concerned by German laws restricting free speech as related to the Holocaust. And I've, yeah. I've come around to an understanding that it shouldn't be legal to yell f- fire in a crowded theater, right? Why is that? Because that is that is an act of speech that can directly result in human harm. So that you don't have the right to do that. Mm-hmm. Denial of the Holocaust, and it's the Holocaust is not specific, the only thing, that, but denial of genocide in general, because we could say the same thing about the Armenian genocide, which Ugh, we yeah. just last year had a, a, another surge in. Denial of genocide is morally identical to urging genocide because that's where it leads to. And in one way you'll see this, I, I there I, I just got sent a couple of leaked conversations between a group of Pacific Northwest Proud Boys where mm-hmm. one of them, this, this famous street brawler, um, Tiny, was uh, was chatting with another Proud Boy about the Holocaust. Um, and someone said, well, you know, it didn't happen, right? And the way the conversation was like, well, then we should do it, you know? And that I've seen this happen a bunch within white supremacist spaces. It's, it's, a, it's and, and oftentimes it'll start as a joke, but obviously we know that that's not where it ends. It, it is an act of violence to deny the Holocaust. It's an act of violence to deny any genocide or ethnic cleansing. These are all, because when you are denying it or when you are hiding it, you are, you are saying, I'm... I'm okay with this. Like that's that's where it always goes to, right? That's mm-hmm. that's that's the end result of that process. And uh, I think there's another aspect of this that ties the Holocaust together with 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 what Christopher was talking about with these acts of ethnic cleansing on the West Coast, with in fact the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the thing we don't talk about with the Holocaust very much. The Holocaust is often framed as well, the Germans had all of these conspiratorial beliefs about Jewish people, and they did, and that that was a significant part of it. A huge driver of the Holocaust was purely economic, was people wanting the things that Jewish Germans possessed, and then wanting the things that Jewish people in other parts of the country possessed. And there were there were elements of it that were not that, but this a big part of the Holocaust was what was called Aryanization, which was businesses being taken from Jewish families and given to Aryans. And that was not, when Christopher says like reparations have not really been paid, that was never undone to a large extent. That's, um, yeah. And, and let's just, so I grew up in Central California in Visalia. All of that farmland mm-hmm. was taken from Japanese immigrants mm-hmm. when they were put in the concentration camps and given to white farmers and nothing has been done to make that right either. It's the oh, exact and the, same the, thing. 
the, the great part about that is that the, so the first people to call for Japanese internment was the the white Californian like yep. uh, farm farm owners association, which is great because you know this their, is slightly their politics haven't up. changed basically. Yeah, <laughs> no, well, it you know, hasn't. They, like they, you know, this this is this is the thing with the white farmers. The Californian white farmers don't have a farm; they suck at it, and so mm-hmm. they, they they constantly have to import different sources of labor in order to actually do the farming because they can't, right? And and this is why sort of labor politics, like, you know, this is why strikes by undocumented workers are actually extremely, they tend to be very effective in mm. sort of, uh, like, in sort of agricultural parts of California, because, you know, again, if these, if, if, if they can't import, and a lot of times, like, indigenous sort of workers from Latin America, right, if they can't do this, literally, not, it, the, the whole system shuts down and, like, the crops all die, mm-hmm. because they don't, like, the white farmers don't know how to do it. And the, the, the amount of violence that has been inflicted on people like because these people don't know how to farm, and because you know, because they they have this sort of whole racist ideology, you know, th- this is another place where the racist ideology comes in. It's well, okay, we could subjugate these people to get them to do our farming for us, but like God help them if they ever actually start doing it on their own. We're just gonna we're gonna take it all from them. Well, there's yeah. like there's this whole thing of it's like they're destroying the Central Valley's ability to produce anything the way they have been because it's not sustainable. And the valley used to be maintained by the indigenous peoples in certain ways, and the agricultural practices have been completely yeah. I mean, demolishing all of that work that was done. So if it's you, not going to be fertile anymore. It's just, it's, if you want to be horrified, look at figure Google, like do some research and where the Salton Sea came from. Oh yeah, the like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stories about this. Yeah. yeah, no, it's just, you know they're essentially refusing to acknowledge their own racism is going to kill them. It's, it's a more do, do we, okay. Do you want to pivot? If we want to do another sort of Latin American connection, uh, do we want to pivot briefly and talk about, uh, my, some of my least favorite people who have ever existed. I, the, the role of Christian missionaries in this. Okay, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, I, I have that's to, a resounding I, yes. <laughs> so to get there, I want to talk about the International Justice Mission. Can we start there? Yeah. yeah okay. Do. So if we're looking at how um, how Christians have treated sex work and sex trafficking and all this, one of the things that is a really good case study of like how this has not changed at all from the methods that the Salvation was, Army was using during the Victorian era to today is to look at the international justice mission. There's a really good article um, by Melissa Garrett Grant kind of ex- uh, on Rewire that gets into um, what exactly uh, they have done to fuck up. But basically it's the same story. They're collaborating with the police. The, there are people who are maybe sex workers, may not be sex workers, but basically these are people who are poor and the the group is working with the police to facilitate raids and then they're rescuing them and then putting them in, you know, different housing situations that are conditional on behaving in certain ways, according to the Christian, you know, moral code. It's just, it's really, really gross. It's really colonist. And, and, and it, it tracks with the, the same way that Christian missionaries often act when they are abroad. Um, so I, I grew up in, in pretty, um, missions heavy church communities this was part of the the kind of the water i i was swimming in and i something about it always made me really uncomfortable and i was finally able to put my finger on it when i was um abroad in um 
for Peace Corps. And there would be these Christian missionaries that would come in to Kyrgyzstan where I was working. Um, and they would say, we're volunteers for Peace Corps volunteers, even though they weren't and they didn't have the right visa and they'd be there to do missions work, which was illegal. And they would have been kicked out of the country if they'd been caught. But because they said that they were Peace Corps volunteers, we had trouble building certain relationships with certain communities because the conditions of Bible study being attached to English lessons made people leery of us. That's And awful. this is the same kind of stuff that, that is happening when they're quote unquote rescuing these sex workers. Um, and, and so there's this, you know, to tie this all together, current American Christian evangelical purity culture um, has this particular hero, Jim Elliott, who, um, not to not to speculate too widely about people's sexuality after they're dead, but like there's a good chance this guy was gay, and mm-hmm. you know that might have made his whole purity thing a lot easier. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, but he so he so he was one of the uh, the missionaries that was in Ecuador um, in the fifties, mid fifties. Um, and they were trying to connect with this untouched people, which is bullshit, but, um, they were trying to connect with this community. They were working with the Shell Oil Company for their resources. They were staying out of a a Shell station and using the Shell plane to fly in and connect with this community. Um, and this, this community, the Warani, um, killed them and their wives stayed on and tried to connect to this community and eventually did and lived with them um, and taught them English and did the whole colonization thing. And there's a whole awful history that results from that. But Jim Elliott's journals were turned into a book by his wife after his death. And she wrote this book about their courtship, about their, their romantic relationship called passion and purity that she where she's codifying these ideals of you know you can you can be chaste and you can be passionate and you know he he checked with my dad and you know he wouldn't even kiss me until he told me that he loved me and he wouldn't tell me that he loved me until he had proposed to me you know all of these all of these layers that you you see kind of reflected in the current evangelical purity culture thinking and so that book really influenced Josh Harris, who wrote the, the seminal work, I Kids Stayed in Goodbye, and has later renounced it. Um, but it, the, a lot of this like purity culture stuff comes from these same people who are going into these communities with the assumption that uh, their way of life is wrong and needs to be corrected. And, and I think there's a, there's, you know, the, 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 the sort of evangelical movement, you know, you, you see the violence. This is another thing I'm like sort of harping on about, but it's true. Is you know, you, you get two reflections of the violence. You get the sort of imperialist violence, and you get the violence at home. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I, I grew up with a like sort of a damage even in like an evangelical college town, and like you know, so half of my friends like are missionaries now, and then people I didn't like, I. Uh, basically you know they would they would say things like i'm gonna go join the army so i can kill all muslims and like like, that was like common and you know this 
and this, you know, you, you, you get basically both, you know, you have, you have the, like, the, there's, there's very, very little difference sort of ideologically in what's happening here between people who go join the army to kill Muslims, the people who sort of are like, oh, I'm going to go save the souls or whatever of like indigenous people in, uh, in Ecuador and, you know, the, the, the sort of the anti-sex worker people and, you know, like these, the, the just like, like the, the white supremacist murderers who are, you know, shooting up massage parlors it's it's the same sort of ideological apparatus yeah they're all on a crusade yeah it's, yeah it's <laughs> literally i mean if you think about <laughs> the origin of that word yeah. Yeah. yeah well hopefully it goes as well as the original one right. like admittedly like <laughs> I, i'm down to skip yeah. the child soldier phase but like oh but that was the best part I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, sorry, what are we I here for that. if not that <laughs> as as a victim of the child soldier phase i reject that <laughs> oh, no. uh -oh. Okay. I'm changing right. my position. I'm with Eve now. <laughs> I'm I am child soldier neutral. <laughs> Bold. Yeah, I'm All not right. age. I'm not ageist. That's where it lands for me. I'm not ageist. I think. Oh, so you believe in children's rights to to die on I, the field of battle? I I do. I think everyone has the right to be a soldier. I mean, I, I agree to an extent. I think parents have the right to hit their parents back. But anyway, <laughs> let's just give ten year olds cars. Um, I think we need to make it mandatory Thanks. that all truck drivers are under the age of 14. I would agree with you there, Katie. I think they would do yeah. a lot better job. I mean, I they would be fun. They wouldn't see over the steering wheel, but I don't know that that matters. Yeah. I mean, we'll just cut a little peephole uh, yeah, in the cut middle of the dash hole board. It'll be good. It'll be fine. Um, none of this is very fun to talk about, um, except for talking about child truck drivers which which is fun to well, imagine. always fun i mean yeah. i can make jokes about this all day but they, they, anytime yeah. i make a joke about this to someone who's an army they're like oh my god that really happened and i'm like mm, <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know i mean that's the problem in general of like having a trauma that isn't understood by the people around you is your your problem most people it, it find humor a helpful way of coping and then people think that you're either a monster or uh making things up because it's it's seems so strange to hear people laugh about something like that um yeah, yeah. so do you want to you want to want to jump from this to children and uh conspiracy theories yeah and how this is connected <laughs> oh you I'm mean intrigued. like um the children who kind of wind up in like focused on like the fact that that whenever we we have these like big panics over sex trafficking and stuff, it's always um, this this false idea that there's like four and five year olds being mass trafficked as opposed to like the reality. Oh well, we could talk about that too. Yeah. We could talk about the whole like the evangelical community is, you know, protecting dozens and dozens and dozens of sexual predators who are preying on the children in their Sunday schools and mm -hmm. homes and. And yet they're focused on, on we have to fix sex trafficking outside of this community. Yeah, there's that whole thing. No, I actually wanted to talk about J.D. Rush, uh, J.R. Rush, Jimmy. Oh, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've told me about him. Yeah. So Rush, Jimmy, um, the, the reason he's relevant is this, this church that the shooter went to is part of a larger group of churches that has loose ties to uh, the ideological inheritance of J.R. Rushduni. So Rushduni um, was this Presbyterian philosopher. He was very libertarian, uh, you know, free market, Austrian economics kind of guy. But he also had this whole 
um, interpretation of, of theology that really kind of created what we call Christian dominionism now. He's a reconstructionist. And the idea that reconstructionists have is essentially um, America was supposed to be a Christian nation. This goes back to the whole, like, um, is it William Bradford City on the Hill speech that he gives on the Mayflower? <clears throat> and which is, you know, he's, they're recreating an idea of America that never existed. Mm-hmm. So America is supposed to be this Christian nation. America is the new, under the new covenant, replacing the Jews because the Jews fucked up. And American Christians have inherited this, this status as God's people. And America as a nation is supposed to fulfill that. And this means that we have to institute biblical laws to things like the stoning of rebellious sons and public execution of the gays and all of these, these other sorts of, you know, inhumane old Testament codes. Um, and if they're established, according to some subsects of, of the reconstructionist thinkers, um, this is not, not all of them believe this, but a lot of them do. If those things are put in place, then Christ will return. Oh, good. So, kinda, yeah. So, th- so there's this, there's this whole, and I, I have so much that I could say about this. There's this whole angle that, like, I think they're stealing some ideas from Antonio Gramsci, where they're they're talking about like the seven spheres of culture that they're supposed to, you know, take over and and how they're going to approach it. And there's a whole thing with like ADF and homeschooling and all that ties in. But essentially, the idea of Christian dominion as part of the Christian mandate and having that tied to white supremacy, these, this church community, this, this group of, um, or the school of thought also believes in the, the curse of ham, which, Oh yes. The idea that black people are descended from ham and ham was cursed by Noah for laughing, uh, at Noah being drunk and naked in his tent one day. And therefore, oh, it sounds slavery, silly when you ch- put it chatter, up like that. Chatter, yeah, chatter, a lot of it. in America is the like punishment from God <laughs> that is just for that, and it's for laughing at. Oh <laughs> God! For laughing dick. at his dad being passed out naked in the tent. I mean, I laugh too. Mm-hmm. Because it's funny. Mm. Um, I mean, it all, it all, like you were both talking about earlier, it all kind of goes back. Like the the Victorian era isn't uh, isn't where it all starts, but it's where it all explodes. Um, and there's the um, I think Christopher said earlier about how colonialism and white supremacy is just kind of this nightmare that never ends. And that is that has been true for the last couple of hundred years. But I do think it's important to acknowledge that there's a beginning point to it. There was a period of time before all of this existed, and there were still plenty of problems. Um, but they were but they were different ones, you know. And I, I think about that a lot. I think about the fact that the Roman Empire um, would have would have looked like a, a, the average Roman citizen would have looked like you as like if you like you were out of your mind if you had tried to like argue that people with different skin colors were were different levels of human. They'd be like, no, no, no. Your level of humanity is determined by whether or not you're a citizen of the empire that I'm in. Like, of course, it has nothing to do with your skin color. Like, they wouldn't have wouldn't have gotten that because it hadn't it hadn't started yet. And the fact that like. The fact that this is all, and a lot of what you're seeing in modern purity culture and in Christian dominionism is this desire to return to this, um, this this 
period, this Victorian period where the domination was kind of at its most unquestionable, right? There was this period in which there was really no, there was no resistance effective on a global level to white supremacist imperialism, um, I think is, is really important, um, just to kind of, to, to understand what it is they want to go back to and also to understand what it looked like when they got their way. And, you know, it, it looked like the famine in Bengal. It looked like um, the Boxer Rebellion. It looked like... And, and it's um, also really important yeah. to know that, like, it looked like all of those things and also it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Like, the moral purity that they're envisioning literally never existed. The 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 way Christian culture was literally never existed. No, no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kipling, there's some some very good Kipling poems on that subject, but the one mm-hmm. on, on Mandalay Bay where he's talking about the way in which colonial um colonial uh, uh, officers of these of these companies acted in 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 Asia. Um send me somewhere east of Suez where the best is like the worst where there ain't no 10 commandments and a man can raise a thirst, you know? Mm. This, this, it, 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 and, and the fact of the matter is like these people, if they got their way, wouldn't be pure. They would be, they would be maintaining, you know, brothels for their own use and they would be violating all of the rules that they want to impose on other people. That's the way it always is. Well, but, and, you know, that, that's, that, 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 that's what Christian forgiveness is for, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's for them. It is not, it is not well, for any of the people they're abusing. Like, well, and that's the thing. Like, if you look <laughs> yeah. at how they treat the story of King David, this is their model for political leadership. The story of King David is like this guy uses his power as king to rape his neighbor's wife and then sends the dude to the front lines to make sure he dies so that the guy never finds out that like he impregnated his wife and and God forgives him because he repents. And he's still considered the good king. Like, what the fuck? Like, that's, that's, that's the model of good leadership. It's not that you are actually morally pure. It's that you get God's job done. Yeah. Well. Unless you're a descendant of Ham. Sorry. Because <laughs> yeah. he, he laughed at his, at his uh-huh. dad's dick. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, don't laugh at your dad's. <laughs> Yeah, dicks. No, definitely. If I was going to summarize the Bible, that would be the lesson I would take out of it. Um, shit. Christopher, Christopher. Is there anything that we missed? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I'll, I'll say one last thing about how we get out of this. Sure. Because please. you know, and there, there's no again, there, there's, there's no good answers to. I mean, you know, there, there are, there are absolutely sort of like short-term things you can do that have to do with, you know, bystander trainings, um, you know, having community organizations that, you know, like sort of move people around so that, you know, again, people, people aren't isolated and can't be picked off like that. But I mean, I, one of the things that, that I remember a lot of that I just, I, I just could not deal with was particularly Asian liberals. We saw a lot of this was people going like, Oh, uh, there's this historic night at the Oscars. Shooting happened. How how could this have happened? And I, you know, I I can't think of like a sort of better indictment of politics representation than that, 
right? It's, oh, hey, we're finally being represented in music or whatever, in film, and, oh, they're still killing us. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a couple of things there. One is that, like, people are using ethnic solidarity as a way to sort of mask this giant class divide. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you get Asian American groups having, like, Tony Zhu, who's the, the founder of DoorDash, like, speak at their events, and it's like, okay, this guy... Like, this guy got rich by exploiting Asian workers, right? And, you know, you have the fact that, like, in New York, for example, like, Asian Americans have the highest poverty rate of any racial group in the city, like, 23%. And, you know, you have to, at some point, you have to look at how you deal with this. And, you know, one one of the things, going back to sort of what we were talking about, Ecuador, right? So, you know, the, the, the missionaries ally with the oil companies, and there's this sort of incredible imperial violence wreaked on them but eventually people start to fight back and people are fighting that the whole time but they you know they, they start to really effectively fight back and there's the formation of this group called the confederation of indigenous nationalities of ecuador and they're able to actually you know they're able to push back on the colonialists they're able to push back on sort of oil extraction they're able to do this because they they have the ability to call an uprising and just bring down a government and they've done this like eight nine times i did this two years ago like the the like the, the the army like sent units out to stop them and they like captured the army units disarmed them and forced them to carry the coffins of the people they killed back to the capital like that that and that you know is the solution to this like that is power mm-hmm. and americans don't really it looks weird to us because we, we have no real like most americans have never actually had power Right? Have you ever actually had the ability to someone deploys the army against you and you disarm them? Right? Of the ability to, when you know, like when 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 a mining company hurts you, when like when your community is under attack, to just shut down a country, and to to, to to force the people who think that they have power to sort of, you know, to to do things that make sure they don't harm you, and that that's the only real way out of this. And this this is not just for Asian Americans. That like this this is the only the only way out for. So like all of the people who've been just devastated by colonial violence for, for black people, for indigenous people, is, you know, the rep- representation isn't going to save us. You actually need power. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's terrifying, especially for a lot of white people, because, you know, in some sense, white people have had power, right? Like, you know, and there, there's obviously varying levels of this, but, you know, if, if you're going to actually deal with this, you have to smash the systems that cause it. And, you know, that, that requires power, like, in, in, you know, in terms of dealing with the police, in terms of dealing with ICE, in terms of dealing with the border, in terms of, you know, dealing with the evangelical movement that's producing these killers, right? You need power and you need some way to build it. And there's no easy way to get there, but that's, that's what needs to well, be done. And I'll just say, like, the, the religious right has been doing this very effectively for the last 30 mm-hmm. years with their grassroots movements, you know, based off of Bill Schlafly's you know, fundraising and mailing model, like they've got it down and the left really just hasn't figured it out yet. No, in part because the left can't stop fighting over, I don't know whether or not the real problem with the Atlanta shooting is that people are calling the Chinese government out for what's being done to the Uyghurs or whatever. Like there's these, everything is so atomized, it's impossible to actually build power. Not impossible, but it's not being done effectively right now, you know? Well, I could say, you know, last year we, we had one moment. We did. This, where, yeah, yeah, we burned down the police. When we burned down we multiple should. police stations. Like, I, I remember. Great. We should do it again. Yeah, you know, like, I, I In remember. In Minecraft. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, like, you know, I, I remember when, yes. when when the police like lost control of of, of like of Michigan Avenue in Chicago. Yeah. Like they just couldn't hold it, and yeah, yeah you know, like that 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 can happen. <laughs> like that's a, that's a thing that we did. Yeah, yeah. There's and I mean that's part of why we're getting very off topic here, but it's part of why there is a, a concerted effort to not remember last year that yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because what last year was, was a large chunk of the population proving that if enough people get on the same page about two or three things, Just, yeah. there is yeah. nothing that the military and the police can do. Um, or at least not that they're able to do. There's nothing the police can do and the military largely won't. Um, but, that's not a thing that that's a thing that everyone who has is an elected leader has a vested interest in us not remembering. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and you know, and this is going back to like history books don't talk about the ways that it's been successful and mm-hmm. kids are kept in the dark because we're not given the tools to dismantle the master's house. Yep. Yeah. Um, I don't want to plug two books here real fast about purity culture stuff, if that's okay. Yeah, um, yeah of course. If if you wanna if you wanna go the the other route of you know, decolonizing your mind. Um, I think that Jessica Valenti's The Purity Myth is excellent for a start on this and talking about how virginity is fake and doesn't exist and all those things. And I think a good, um, you know, pairing with that would be Angela Chan's, uh, Angela Chen's Ace. It just came out um, this last year and it's about asexuality and kind of like really breaking down the, you know, compulsory heteronormative mindset that we grew up in awesome thank you well all right christopher you got anything you want to plug before we roll out today and hopefully don't yeah have a i don't know how how you doing man (laughs) yeah Yeah. i i I know this has been a rough few weeks for you yeah it's it's been bad If if you want to see me just completely fall apart on a regular basis um I'm at itmechr3 on Twitter or the Ice Must Be Destroyed guy. I uh, mm-hmm. regularly implode. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, okay, I, I swear I do actually update this, and sometimes it's more than once a month, but I, I have a substack called uh, The Long 21st Century where you can also see me implode. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you both. And for those of you at home, remember, never laugh at your dad's dick. All right, and uh, that's going to do it for us here at the worst year ever. Um, Bye. Also, see you later. I tried. Daniel? Lovely. Worst Year Ever is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, Tanner girl, go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Get in zone, auto zone. 
Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? I think my battery's dead. With free battery testing and charging, we can help you get back on the road. So what if I need a new one? We have the right Duralast battery for you, only at AutoZone. And what about my old battery? We can recycle it right here at America's number one battery destination. Restrictions apply. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count.